Hello there. I'm Nivruti and I'm the host of Bio Uncredited. Today, get ready for a bonus episode that's breaking the usual structure our episodes usually follow. And if you've ever marveled at our nature's genius sparks innovation in our careers, well, prepare to be amazed. Join me for a provocative conversation with an extraordinary naturalist and biomimic who's not just following nature's footsteps but leaving her own impressive trail. Together, we'll unravel the secrets of her inspiring journey, diving into the boundless possibilities of biomimicry as a career option. Trust me, after this hour, you will see biomimicry in a whole new light. It's a conversation that's not just cool, but will completely reshape your perspective on this incredible field. Now I know the suspense is horrifying. So let me tell you who this extra special person is. It's none other than Lily Ermin. Now I would rave about Mrs. Lily and introduce her, but I'm afraid I wouldn't do justice to this remarkable remarkable individual. So go on and hear it for yourself. Welcome, Mrs. Lily. It's my greatest pleasure to have you here. I really appreciate the arrangement of this meeting, and by the end of today's chat, I am positive I will leave as a very enlightened individual. Before we shift our focus to the questions I have for you, I would love to know who Lily Ermin is from Lily Ermin herself. Please also state your pronouns. Nivriti, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I'm I'm honored to be here, and I'm also very with you inviting me here and chatting and emailing. It's just been an honor getting to know you. My name is Lily Ehrman. My pronouns are she, her. And I define myself, if one can, as a naturalist, a biomimic, and an educator. I have, I wear many hats and I have a couple different projects going on right now. Um, the main one, which you probably know about, is I'm the host of Learning From Nature, the biomimicry podcast. Like yourself, I noticed a couple of years ago that there weren't really many biomimicry spaces uh, in the podcasting world that kind of dove into this topic, chatted with biomimics in, in a more kind of stream way. Uh, and so after coming out of the master's degree in biomimicry, which I finished in 2020, it was a weird year to finish a master's degree, uh, but here I am. I saw that that space was kind of uninhabited. And so I started creating a list of guest speakers that I'd want to interview. I had a friend design a logo and it just kind of organically grew. Uh, and then most recently the podcast um, kind of brought on, uh, was brought on by a project hosted by my friend and colleague at Arizona State University, um, where I worked in the biomimicry center for many years. Um, have since now, you know, I don't work there anymore, but I have many friends there still. So learning from nature, uh, part of this grant that she got to have conversations with indigenous scholars and leaders. And this idea that there's an intersection, a uh, knowledge symbiosis that needs to happen between indigenous science and biomimicry. And so that's this, these conversations we've been having the last couple months that have been mm -hmm. put out on my podcast, as well as the native seed pod podcast um, have been really enlightening at this intersection of what is indigenous science, what is traditional ecological knowledge and what is biomimicry. So that's the kind of space that the, that the podcast is in right now. Um, and that's a project I'm, I'm really proud uh, to be a part of and to be invited 
did that. It's, it's very humbling and um, wonderful. In another part of my life, I am a professor at a university at Pratt Design Institute, which is in New York. So I teach design students. Um, my class is called Biology for Biomimicry. And so it's all about how to harness and understand biological processes and systems and forms and the, you know, how they got the way that they are out of. And then how to translate those to design ideas um, with biomimicry at the core. Uh, so it's a lot of like the biology piece of it and, you know, ecosystem functionality and relationships between organisms, but also how, how to make that into a product or a design and what that translation piece, what that bridge between biology and design, which is biomimicry, what that looks like and kind of walking them through that. So that's been an honor and it's really great to be teaching every semester that class fills up. So students keep wanting it, which is great. Uh, and I also work in a nonprofit. <laughs> So I have a couple of different things. I work at a, a nonprofit here in, in Denver where we get kids into nature. Uh, a lot of folks who don't have traditional access to nature, just less access to nature. We host after school programs and homeschool enrichment. Uh, and I do a lot of random things for them. They're called the Kiva Center and I love them dearly. It's also really great to be kind of rooted into a place while I'm also doing a lot of this stuff online. So it's a bit of a balance. That was the short, short version. <laughs> I completely understand. I must say I'm incredibly impressed by this breadth of interest. It's not every day you find a person in this day and age who inclines towards these areas of interest. It's very rare. I think we look towards progression in life, which is often a linear path, and we don't look at the finer details. And I, I like to think of a similar post you sent in the Nature Nerds broadcast about how hikers go off-trail in search of the oddities of nature and don't stick to a confined trail. Um, with that in mind, I would love to ask you what educational background and skills are crucial for someone aspiring to pursue a career in biomimicry? That is, what must one undertake to tread the trail of biomimicry since essentially certain experiences or expertise is most valuable for someone aiming to enter the biomimicry profession? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've, I've gotten this question a couple of times and I have a very vague answer and I'm sorry about that. But I think all you really have to have to get interested in biomimicry and to pursue biomimicry, at least to start, is a curiosity for nature. Whether you're an amateur birder and you're curious about how different birds fly or navigate, uh, you know, catching food or building different nests with different materials. If you have no experience in biology or ecology, but you're curious about one thing and you can self-teach and get interested and seek out experts and read scientific papers and you have that drive, that curiosity, I think that's really all it takes, at least at the beginning. I will also say bringing in the experts and bringing in collaborators and talking to people like you're doing uh, is a really important part of it because biomimicry cannot be done alone. Um, biomimicry inherently is multidisciplinary, right? We have biomimics working in the material science industry to build, you know, better materials for the things we use in the products and more sustainable and regenerative or using waste as a resource. 
we have biomimics that are building buildings and architecture and kind of this larger scale community, um, you know, urban ecology. There's so many fields within that one, you know, architecture and ecology as well. And we have biomimics in the car industry and the teaching industry uh, and the chemistry industry, um, really rethinking how we're making chemicals and where they end up or uh, if they're, you know, contributing to an ecosystem rather than just being uh, uh, damaging to the ecosystem. So there are biomimics in every sector that you can imagine. And this is where I think the power of just getting into it and finding your niche. Um, and I this might be a question that I, I don't want to tread on too early, but it also means that there are jobs for biomimicry in every sector. You just have to find your niche and what you're interested in and what you're good at. And maybe that does mean pursuing like uh, a degree in something. If you want to get really into ecology, pursuing a degree in ecology is going to give you the most in-depth look. Um, maybe you do some research, maybe you do a project. Like there's a lot of opportunities once you find that niche, once you've been curious to really dive deep and be, um, I don't say an expert because, you know, I'm definitely not an expert. I don't know if anyone can really be an expert in nature. There's so much to learn, but you can be really rooted in that field. And then you can apply biomimicry. Biomimicry can be part of your tool belt. Um, so it really is going to require everybody and all of their interests and all of their disciplines all over the world to be applying biomimicry in order to create a future that is uh, life friendly, that not only for us as humans, but our non-human neighbors. And I think that's the power in biomimicry is it's going to require everyone with a ton of different skill sets and a ton of different interests. And we're going to be able to apply it to every area, which is really powerful, but also it's the vague answer because it's like, okay, what do I do to what do I need to do to be to be a biomimic? Start reading, start being curious, go out into nature and start asking questions. You mentioned my Instagram, and I think this is kind of the niche that I've been honing in on Instagram because not a lot of people know about biomimicry. And I definitely don't put biomimicry at the forefront of my Instagram, but I do like the nature curiosity at the forefront and people really resonate with that. There's so many folks that go on hikes or go on walks and they're stopping to look at every mushroom or tree or plant flower or bird or whatever that is, insect under the log, right? Like that curiosity is what drives a lot of biomimicry. And I, I think that's really powerful. So start there. And then if you, you know, find yourself the most interested in how do organisms interact in an ecosystem? Maybe you're um, trying to get into ecology. Maybe you're more interested in the material and, and how a mushroom forms and how it grows and the structure of logs. And maybe that means you want to get more into material science or architecture or design. I think finding that interest in that niche where you can apply biomimicry is kind of the way to do it because biomimicry at large is just, it's multidisciplinary. It's meant to be applied to every field. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. The, the fact that biomimicry um, goes against this popular phrase, curiosity kills a cat is just um, great because curiosity is, as you said, it's the core of what biomimicry means to biomimic. Uh, moving yeah. on to the next question, and this, I would say this is a personal favorite. Can you describe the, the typical professional landscape for individuals working in the biomimicry field and the environments they engage with? To be honest, in that respect, I have very little imagination to presume what sort of workspace biomimics typically work in, so I'd love to know. 
Yeah, this is a good question. And I, I also don't have a very solid answer because it's, it's changing. Biomimicry is still, and I want to, I want to back up for a second, because as, um, when I talk about biomimicry, you know, people have been learning from nature and translating those design ideas to their, you know, living, their design, everything for millennia, only in the last 40, 50 years, have we really coined the term biomimicry. And that's mostly this like Western, um, kind of scientific academic approach of like, we need a term to describe this one methodology, which is great. And I think there's power in that, you know, getting it into, uh, courses, getting educators to be able to teach a process, um, having steps that students can follow, I think is important, but the act of, you know, learning from your ecosystem, being place-based, rooted in understanding what happens in your habitat and learning from that because you also live there um, has been happening for thousands and hundreds of thousands of years. And I think it's one of the earliest things humans ever did probably, right? Like learn from our environment yeah. and apply that. Um, however, in the last 50, even less than that, 30 years since Janine Benyus published her book, Biomimicry, um, and really got it out into more uh, of a Western science academic space. There's been more of an interest in getting it into jobs and getting it into schools. Um, and it's happening. It's, it's still slow to grow. You are seeing more and more jobs pop up. Still very few, but more than, you know, the past ever was. Uh, have the term biomimicry in the job title, which I think is a really good sign. However, for the most part, when people are applying biomimicry and their biomimics, um, they are either a professional biomimic and they are brought on, you know, they're a consultant. So, you know, that's biomimicry 3.8. There's a couple other folks um, who kind of act in that space of like starting a company just to be a biomimicry consultant. And they work with other companies to apply biomimicry as the expert when companies want to do a biomimicry process or have a challenge they wanna solve with biomimicry. And that's what Biomimicry 3.8 does really well with Janine Benyus and Dana Baumeister um, and a couple other folks who've started similar kind of uh, companies. However, most of the people that are practicing biomimicry are doing what I mentioned earlier, where they have a specialty. So they're either already in a career field or they're interested in a specific career field and they're applying biomimicry in that space. So it's not necessarily a biomimicry space. It's, you know, whether that's architecture, whether that's design, whether that's uh, ecosystem engineering or conservation biology, whatever that may be, they're, they're just in that career field, but they're using biomimicry as, you know, their method of solving problems, their method of being inspired. It's kind of a tool in their tool belt, like I mentioned earlier. So it's not necessarily like the biomimicry job that they're applying for but they're bringing biomimicry in as something they're passionate about or something they're an expert in that potentially gets them the job if there's a pool of other people that don't have biomimicry experience and the company knows about biomimicry then the folks you know with the biomimicry experience and knowledge are, are going to be you know hired because they have a little bit more experience in solving problems using nature or especially if that company is excited about biomimicry a colleague of mine Jamie Miller um, who is really wonderful. And he started the company Biomimicry Frontiers, which I worked I worked with him for the last couple of years. Um, he recently got a position at one of a global architecture companies called B plus H, 
and they have a couple different like large uh, bases, but one of the ones that he's at is, is in Canada. And they hired him as the director of biomimicry. And it was one of the first huge kind of top level positions director where a company designed this role pretty much for him and he applied for it and got it obviously. But he's been doing that for a couple of years now where he is like the expert in biomimicry and his role reflects that, which is really rare. I think it's happening more, but it's still pretty rare. And so that's why I say this answer is complicated because for the most part right now, you get the, your experience in biomimicry, you do the training, whether that's, you know, a couple of the online programs, whether that's the full master's degree, whether it's the full professional program, which includes the master's degree. And then you apply that as a biomimic to a, a bunch of different career fields. Or if you're lucky, you find one job that's the perfect fit, you know, the biomimicry Institute, biomimicry 3.8, where it's more of a focused biomimicry role and that's your title, but that's still way, way, way less common. Okay, um, I think uh, this entire interdisciplinary collaboration when talking about biomimicry, that is uh, integrating biomimicry into other professions, I think a lot of people have talked to me about it because um, when you take biomimicry alone, I feel it's less appeasing. I mean, it resonates with a lot of people because the idea of learning from nature isn't new. I mean, um, it's completely relatable because learning from nature, I mean, it makes sense somehow. So uh, whenever I bring up biomimicry to someone who doesn't know about it, they feel they resonate with it. But biomimicry alone, they feel is quite a nascent field, like it's up and coming. But um, I think, uh, like you said, integrating it into another uh, career path would be optimal. Um, I'd also like to highlight another challenge I encountered when expressing my interest in pursuing the biomimetics. And I feel it's a very pivotal aspect of one's livelihood. And it's the concern over financial security. So when considering biomimicry as um, a skill in a tool belt or as a career path, what can be expected in terms of salary offering? Yeah, another good question. And you mentioned something that I want to speak to also, this idea that, you know, biomimicry can look like a lot of different things depending on, you know, what job you have or what field yeah. you're in. I also wanted to mention that there is kind of a growing understanding in research and kind of the science academic realm at universities with postdoc positions, uh, you know, with graduate school positions, doing research in biomimetics. Like there is a biomimetic research journal now, which is really cool. Uh, and they're, you know, publishing a lot of these studies around, you know, surface uh, hydrophobicity and movement in different organisms and understanding really tiny details of how nature works, not necessarily doing any of the like, okay, now this is what we're going to design. Although some researchers do that, but that also is a path. And I think it's becoming um, a really important path because the Folks that are on the other end who are, are like me, either teaching or designing something based off of what we understand with nature, we're, we're reading those scientific papers and that research that's been done by scientists for understanding how nature works and these tiny details. We're using that as our basis for creating something. So there's a couple different steps um, along kind of, I think, the, the opportunities for biomimicry uh, career paths, so to speak. 
And I think being a research scientist is becoming a really popular one, or it's just becoming, you know, it's a larger field that folks who might not even have the biomimicry interest right off the bat, like they're getting into research and then getting so curious about nature or something specific in nature that then they hear about biomimicry and like, oh, oh, there's a word for this, which is cool. So, and I, I've been interviewing them for my podcast, which is how I know they, they're out there. <laughs> um, but your question around salary, I think I'm going to, I'm going to give you another vague answer because I think it really depends. Um, for example, for me, and I, I can't speak to everyone, but for me, I have a master's in biomimicry, which I paid a good chunk of money for, right? We know degrees are expensive. Yeah. Uh, I supplemented or I like really, I think, dropped the cost of that because I worked at the university while I was getting my degree um, at the Biomimicry Center. So it really contributed to lowering that cost, but it was still pretty significant. And for a lot of folks who are just doing it online, paying out of pocket, it can be really expensive. And then the question is, okay, how do I get a job in this field that pays enough to make it worth it? Um, and it's tricky. Um, I think it's tricky with any field right now. If you're really interested in ecology, how do you get a job in ecology that is going to pay enough that you can support yourself and do what you're passionate about? And so this is what I want to say about that. Be patient and allow yourself the exploration to maybe not be doing biomimicry right away, but rather find a job that you're interested in, that you know will have that growth that you can potentially bring biomimicry in later on and that is financially supportive. I think a lot of people, when they hear about biomimicry, drop everything they're doing uh, and totally shift gears, which is fine and it's it's great and I want people to feel like they can do that and that's totally up to them. But then they're like, okay, now what jobs are available? And it's like, well, actually biomimicry is something that you can apply into a job as, an, you know, as a, a solution for challenges, the pathway for design. And it doesn't necessarily mean you need to drop everything or totally end your job or totally get a different job. Sometimes, a lot of the times you can build it in as something that you're practicing as an approach to doing the job that you really like, the job that you're passionate about. Um, and a lot of the times those same people are people that have been working in the field for a couple of years and are over it and they wanna shift anyway. And biomimicry is an opportunity and invitation to do that. And so it's a really great uh, shift for them. But I think, a good strategy, at least right now, while the field is still growing and deepening and expanding. Um, and as we're seeing those, those biomimicry specific jobs kind of increase very slowly, um, finding what you're passionate about and what you're good about, what you're good at, and then applying biomimicry in or exploring biomimicry as a pathway to accomplishing whatever it is you want to accomplish um, or solve those challenges in that job whether it's again, material science, uh, academia, like me, I'm just teaching um, and you know, hosting a podcast, so there's a little bit more informal space. Or if you wanna be a researcher and really dive into academics, following that pathway, but thinking about how you're gonna pursue biomimicry um, research projects or what something in nature you really wanna understand and do research on, seeking out the research uh, professionals or uh, the PIs in the labs that have research projects for something you want to do. Uh, I think using biomimicry as your guiding light of like, I know I want to approach any job I do with biomimicry. Having that as your guiding light, I think will really help one, find a job that you like um, and find a job that you can apply biomimicry and be financially supportive. I think it is possible. It just takes a lot of kind of navigating, um, especially in 
today's job world where it's a little hectic and finding something you love can take a couple of years. So I think being patient and being able to be flexible, if that means, you know, giving yourself some time and then leaving and finding something else, uh, it is worth it because it is out there. It just, again, might take some extra time. Did I answer your question? I feel like I went on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry about it. I I think this really did answer this question because before this, I I wanted to approach biomimicry directly, like as a direct field. I never really thought about integrating it into any other field. So um, that's why I was worried about um, financial security. And it's such an imperative thing. And that's why it often becomes a central consideration in all career decisions, not only biomimicry. And beyond just covering uh, basic needs and expenses, I think financial stability provides individuals with a sense of peace of mind, like you said, and the freedom to pursue personal and professional goals. So I think what your answer made great sense to first pick what I like, what my niche, what's the a specific area of focus I would like to concentrate on, and then introduce biomimicry instead of dropping everything I have and then going into biomimicry. I think that's a risky option, I would say. Um, yeah, it, I will say it is possible. And like, that's kind of what I'm doing. Um, I'm obviously working like the nonprofit I work for doesn't really do biomimicry. I am bringing biomimicry in and they're very open to that. We tested it out with some activities. And so there is that opportunity. But for the most part, um, teaching is a really great pathway to if you just want to kind of teach the methodology of biomimicry. Um, and I think more and more universities and schools are starting to accept it, although it is a bit of an uphill battle for schools that don't know about it or aren't kind of ready to support it. They're like, what do you want to teach and why? So you kind of have to make the case for it. Um, but teaching and, you know, folks are kind of creating their own companies to do consulting. So I will say it is possible to do like the biomimicry, I'll, I'll call it the biomimicry process pathway focused on either teaching biomimicry or doing biomimicry for others. It's just much more of an uphill battle. And you also have to really find the right connections to make it work, especially financially early on um, without that, you know, working for a separate company in biomimicry or whatever it is, it, it, it can be tricky. Yes, it's especially tricky in a country like India because um, biomimicry, I would say it's, it's not one of those mainstream careers in India, like medicine or engineering or one of those conventional careers, like everyone would say. So um, it would be met with skepticism. So um, what you said- I think there are a few universities that have some that recently, or not maybe recently, but published some biomimicry or biomimicry related research. So there are some universities doing it in India and I have a, a few folks actually I'd love to connect you to that I know about in India that do biomimicry, one who's an architect. Um, so it it exists. It's just like, yeah, it's in these tiny little pockets and it's some sometimes hard to feel like it's an option. Yeah. That's incredibly true. Um, I would love to um, get on a conversation with them, uh, talk about them because I feel it'd be very relevant to the situation that I'm in because they would have probably face the same challenges that I am facing and will face in the future. Um, yeah. Moving on to another question, I am particularly interested to hear. Can you provide a glimpse into your daily routine, shedding light on the practical aspects of 
a career in biomimicry? Yeah, I don't I don't know if I'm the best person to ask for this only because I have a hectic like multi-job <laughs> stream right now. Although maybe that is more accurate than not in the biomimicry space. Um I'm piecing together part-time positions so that I can support myself and do the thing I love, which is the podcast, which I don't make any money from <laughs> yet. Um and actually the most recent project with ASU, they did pay me for that. So I made a little bit of money off that. But my my day-to-day -day is really depends on kind of what's on my to-do list that week. But I work, I want to say like half time for the nonprofit. So I usually spend most mornings working in doing nonprofit work. So that's grant writing, administration work, managing the after school programs we have, communicating with other people in the nonprofit. Um, sometimes I do social media for the nonprofit. And then in the afternoons, I do, I, I prep for my class, my Pratt class. Uh, if I have work that needs to be graded for the Pratt class, I try to do that early in the week. So I don't have to do it later in the week and they can get their feedback as soon as possible. Uh, and then I fill in all the random other gaps with my own social media content, which is really blown up in the last couple of months. So I'm trying to keep up with it. Uh, cause that's then kind of an outreach funnel for my podcast. And then like January, for example, is really busy because I'm scheduled for 10, I scheduled 10 podcast interviews with CEOs and biomimicry companies mm -hmm. so I can publish them later in the year. I like to get all my recording done as soon as possible so then I can just kind of edit and publish for the rest of the year and not have to record consistently throughout the year. So January is a little hectic, but then beyond that, I spend time editing podcasts and publishing them. I'll usually probably do that only for a couple hours a month because I only publish one episode a month. Um, but I do all that editing and outreach on my own, which has been a learning journey. Um, and then also I make sure to get outside. Sometimes even when it's really cold, I, I have to take my dog for a walk. So we go outside in the afternoons. I take a break from work. Uh, and this is the nice thing about mostly working for myself and teaching and having random schedules. I can go on a hike in the middle of the day if I have this, you know, the time in my schedule or I book my schedule around it. I can go for a walk and look at birds and just clear my head. And I've felt like this is a really great way also to center myself, to be creative, to be more inspired and to be more productive in the end. Um, so yeah, it's a hodgepodge, <laughs> but it really depends on what I have that week. Mm -hmm. The entire idea of being your own boss and you know letting yourself have some space to breathe um, I think it's a great advantage of um, doing so much of things, you know, um, keeping it up on um, during one month and then the other few months having some time for yourself. I think it makes yeah. great sense. Um, also, I would like to ask, um, can you share challenges that professionals in biomimicry generally commonly face and how they overcome them. For example, you shared a few um, challenges of overworking and having a lot of things to do at the same time, but you make time for yourself. But there are there are a lot of challenges that um, professionals in this field um, face, whether it's from society or internal conflict. Um, can you share how they might overcome them or personal experiences? 
Yeah, I think there's two pieces to that that I'll speak to. I mean, there's a lot more that I I won't mention, but I'll I'll speak to two specifically. One that's more kind of broad and one that's a little bit more specific. The broad one is making the case for biomimicry, right? Whether you're already applying it, whether you work for a company um, that maybe, you know, knows about it, but, and we encountered this constantly when we worked with folks at Biomimicry Frontiers, where we were training people to kind of apply biomimicry in their workspaces. A huge question was, okay, how do we get our workspace to want us to do this, to want biomimicry to be part of their process, to want biomimicry to be the design method for solving problems, or how do we create an education module for biomimicry at a school if the school doesn't know about it or care about it, right? So I think the biggest like overarching challenge that a lot of folks in the biomimicry space have is making the case for biomimicry and why it should exist, why it should be uh, a method of a process, something they build in, something they bring to the table. And I think as more and more people are doing biomimicry and more companies are doing biomimicry, we can point to those examples and say, look what it's done for other companies, look at the interest, look at the impact. But it's still tricky when folks haven't heard of it or, you know, it's something they're hearing of for the first time and they really don't know, you know, what the heck it is, right? So coming in with an interest in doing biomimicry to a company that has no idea could take a long time much longer than some folks want to wait. Um, so that's why finding companies, I think, or places to work or maybe creating your own uh, pathway or company or whatever that is that has that uh, focus is what a lot of people do with biomimicry because the, the other companies don't really see the value. And I think that's changing. I think more and more companies are seeing the value and there's more research put out. There's more products now in the market that are biomimetic. So I think we can point to it more and the case is easier to make, but that's still a huge hurdle for a lot of folks. And then I think the more specific challenge that I've seen, even at an undergrad level for my design students that are applying biomimicry to different projects is really understanding how nature works. And when you're doing biomimicry, that translation piece of, I wanna create a design is often what we focus on rather than backing up a step and being like, actually, how does that work in nature? Um, and it's often like this really complicated, really beautiful, really efficient form or process or system that scientists spend their entire lives trying to research and figure out and publish. And so spending time in that space and bringing in biologists, bringing in chemists, if that's you know a process or a chemical that you're trying to mimic, to really be part of that project and or share what they know about um, that thing in nature that they've spent their life studying, I think is really crucial because that's a huge challenge is like actually mimicking nature accurately. Um, and then we see designs that are made, you know, that sometimes even get mass media publication that aren't accurate. And a lot of us biomimics are like, hmm, this got a lot of press, but it's actually not working like nature. So I think that's a big hurdle is like, doing biomimicry well, doing biomimicry accurately and honoring and understanding and maybe even reciprocating, like being a reciprocal back to the natural organism or the system or the ecosystem that you were inspired by. So you're not just taking, you're not just, um, and sometimes even taking and translating incorrectly um, and then making something that's destructive or not sustainable or whatever it is. So I think that that's a huge challenge 
for specific biomimics and for the biomimicry world at large, because the people that are doing it like shallow biomimicry, where it's not actually mimicking nature and not sustainable, uh, then dampens the whole field, right? When people are like, oh, this example of biomimicry, it's like, well, that's actually, let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> and I love getting into that on my podcast because we have a lot of time to do that. And that, that can be a whole nother conversation. Um, but it's tricky because we want, when we say biomimicry, we want people to think about this um, deep biomimicry process that um, really understands what's happening in nature, really honors what's happening in nature, and isn't just taking and extracting and then making something that's damaging to nature or us or using products and processes that are unsustainable um, or toxic in some cases, and then just being like, that's biomimicry, right? So I think that is, and that's where bringing in the scientists and the people that are doing that research really, really, and dive deep and deeper than I think people realize some of the time to understand fully what's going on in nature because it's a lot more complicated than I think we initially realize. Which is very true, I think. Honestly. So that's a long-winded answer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. I, 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 I think this made a lot of sense. This is extremely helpful. Um, why I asked this question is, inevitably, a career has its own pros and cons. And the real challenge lies in identifying them and overcoming them, recognizing that every career journey is a roller coaster of highs and lows is the first step towards um, a resilient professional mindset. Uh, progressing to another question, are there specific industries or sectors where biomimicry is gaining more attention and traction and why? Yeah, I think the big one that comes to mind first is architecture, because I think, and this is where Jamie Miller's position, the director of biomimicry, um, was created in the last couple of years. And there's more of this, I don't want to say inherent, but a very obvious application for biomimicry and architecture, right? Like, let's create sustainable buildings. It's already kind of set up with the living building challenge and regenerative design, and that space is like, oh, of course, we're going to learn from, you know, how nature builds strong structures, efficient structures, how these ecosystems function and how we can make sure our cities and buildings function like an ecosystem. Um, so I think that is one big pathway that's growing pretty rapidly. Um, and the person that I'll connect you to, if I can find his email, I'll send you his Instagram account too. Um, he does architecture and kind of biomimetic applications in India. And I think that is, and he's a teacher. So I think that's a big uh, space for it. I also see, as I mentioned earlier, I'm seeing a lot of papers come out with biomimetics or understanding kind of niche systems or forms in nature, and then kind of making a little bit of the jump to like, here's how it could work, or here's how it could be applied in different sectors. Um, so I think the research space is growing, which is great because we need more of that base of information of how nature really works in order to, to do biomimicry well, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the research space is a big one. Um, and I also think education, a lot of folks are getting excited about biomimicry and deciding to teach like me, like more of the methodology kind of big picture, uh, which is great because we need biomimics at every level, right? You know, even eighth, ninth grade, like let's get kids excited about uh, and young adults excited about applying biomimicry so they can think about that in the next 20, 30 years where they want to go with that career. Um, so I think there's 
there's obviously more spaces than that, but that'll be my answer for now. Um, and it, you're seeing it kind of grow as well in like tiny little sectors of individual companies where they're like, oh, we want to biomimic to, you know, be on hand to work with, uh, you know, whether our building sector or our waste management. I think chemistry is also seeing some folks. And I don't even know if they would call it biomimicry, but green chemistry is becoming more of a thing. And that's ultimately biomimicry because you're learning from how nature does chemistry and applying it to how we make chemicals. So I think that's a big uh, area of growth, which is great. Wow, I I actually did an assignment on just talking about green chemistry and I did not realize that it could contain a bit of uh, biomimetics. Um, thank you, absolutely. I yeah. Intersection of science and nature, it opens up endless possibilities for creating a more sustainable, efficient and harmonious future that is life friendly. Um, whether it's architecture or research or academia, I think that um, intersection between nature and any other field, I think it opens up this whole new door to opportunities that we never would have um, discovered uh, 30 or 40 years back. So I think technology has really opened up a lot of opportunities for careers especially in biomimicry. Um, yeah. Now let's look at a different aspect of biomimicry. It's future and it's growth and potential in the coming years. I'd like to ask you, how has the field of biomimicry evolved and what trends do you see shaping its future? Oh, that's a good question. And I'm not sure how I would answer it other than kind of what I was talking about at the beginning where we've seen, we've seen a lot of growth in the last 20 and 30 years um, since Janine published that book, since even like the mid 20th century when people really started thinking and talking about biomimicry, but more in like a niche sense. Um, and especially in the last like few years when we're thinking about traditional ecological knowledge and, and indigenous science, and where you know countries are giving uh, personhood to rivers and mountains, and this idea that we are nature and we need to care for nature, and indigenous people hold a lot of that care uh, in their in their culture, and they they're taking care of a lot of the biodiversity on the planet. I think that has really been um, an important step, even though it's not really technically part of the quote unquote biomimicry space. It is all progressing towards this idea that we are nature, we need to learn from nature and we need to care for nature in order to create a future where not only humans thrive, but all of our neighbors on this planet can thrive. And I think biomimicry is a really important part of that because people are starting to put a name to the process of learning from nature and creating design. Um, and I think, especially as that happens on a more mainstream level, I mentioned this earlier, but a lot of that can be kind of the shallow version of biomimicry, right? So people who are applying um, uh, peregrine falcon wings to fighter jets to to drop bombs, right? That's not life friendly. I wouldn't I wouldn't call that deep biomimicry. The military has actually funded a lot of biomimetic design um, here in the U.S. And I'm not the biggest fan. I'll say that, but 
it also has allowed the progression of biomimicry. Like it funded a lot of research, which was important early on. Um, however, that's not really the examples that I want people to think of when they think of biomimicry. So I think that's a challenge and a trend as we see it grow and more people understand it, it, it does tend to be this more shallow version. And so that's where you and I and all of the other biomimics, when we are practicing biomimicry and talking about biomimicry, we need to have this kind of deeper sense and deeper connection to place and the organisms that live there and how they survive and have it be this more of a relationship, right? Like how do we learn from the organisms that have been here much, much longer than us? And then how do we create something that is in harmony with the land and with the people and with the organisms rather than, you know, just taking from and extracting. I'm hoping that that as the trend and, and as biomimicry grows and more people are doing deeper biomimicry, it, it does tend that way. But right now we're seeing a lot of like the media and um, publications that are coming out or, you know, that are just like in, in articles sometimes aren't really representing it to the same depth that I would hope. But there's also more biomimics that are practicing, that are excited about it, that are out there talking about it. Um, and so I think that I'm really excited about that because it does mean that more folks are, uh, or fewer folks that I talk to are like, what the heck is biomimicry, right? So I'm excited because I, in the last 10 years that I've been in this field, I've seen it grow exponentially. And while some of that growth has been this kind of shallow version and people getting excited about, let's just create something that looks like nature and doesn't function like nature. It also just means that there's more people doing it and more people excited. So regardless, I want, I want us to shift. And, I, and Jamie Miller talks about this uh, in my podcast interview with him, where he's like, we need this kind of paradigm shift. It doesn't matter if everyone is doing it perfectly. It just matters that everyone is doing it and talking about it and, and kind of shifting the norm of, of what we think design is, what we think sustainability is, where we're getting our inspiration from. And I think biomimicry is this kind of overarching term where we're hopefully getting more people excited about, oh, we actually are a new species here. And it's a humbling reminder and also really hopeful because it's like, oh, we don't have to invent everything from scratch to get ourselves out of a lot of the challenges we're facing. The organisms that have lived here a lot, lot longer than us have those solutions and have inspiration that we can borrow and design a better world for everybody. So I think the long answer, that was the long answer, but the short answer is it's, it's growing rapidly and I'm excited about that. And I hope that we can do it in a deeper way moving forward. And I, I am seeing that a little bit. Absolutely. I think quality over quantity is any day preferred. Um, yeah. And I think media representation should improve in areas um, that include biomimicry because people consume media so much that um, they unknowingly cause a paradigm shift in their mind. So I think if we change the way we look at media or change the way that we consume media or um, if the media changes itself, how it portrays itself, I think that would um, uh, cause a rapid increase in the kind of quality in biomimicry in various fields. Um, thank yeah. you so much for answering. And this is the final question for today. What piece of advice would you give to someone starting their career in biomimicry um, based on your own journey or someone else's that you take inspiration from? I will share 
my favorite poem by Mary Oliver because it is my inspiration in life. And I think it's really good advice for everybody in a biomimicry field and elsewhere. This is her poem. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. I think it's really powerful. I just got, I just got chills. It's really powerful because it's so simple, right? Like this idea of like, just pay attention to what you see, what you experience, maybe not even just what you see, what you feel, what you hear and finding your niche, I think happens naturally when you follow that curiosity, right? So whether um, you're applying biomimicry in different ways, whether you actually end up getting interested in ecology, whatever that may be, following your curiosity and paying attention to the world because there's so many amazing things happening all the time around us, um, you know, in nature, in our homes and our bodies, because we are nature and our bodies are nature and just everywhere. And so I think that's where this poem just really speaks to that. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. So simplicity in the poem is, you're right, it does give goosebumps. Um, yeah. I think that's what people need to hear. Um, instead of uh, complicated lectures about biomimicry, I think this this short poem can do can move mountains when it comes to biomimicry and people thank you so much for sharing uh this poem mrs lily and thank you yeah. so, so much for sharing your expertise and um your valuable insights during this interview and all those personal anecdotes they really did help driving the message home and your passion and knowledge have really illuminated our conversation and this sort of this depth you've brought to our discussion has been immense and I think before this I will I was viewing biomimicry as more of a 2D sort of concept but now I think it's slowly coming into picture that it's slowly um and I can look at biomimicry differently so once and I am genuinely thankful for the time and effort you've dedicated just now and more power to emerging biomimics and more power to nature. Yeah. Woohoo. Thanks so much for having me. And it was, yeah, it's been really great, great to chat with you. I'm glad I could add some more depth to the conversation. And it is really important to have these conversations. And I'm, yeah, again, just really impressed with your level of um, professionalism and, you know, communication reaching out to me. I think your path is really exciting and bright, whether whatever it looks like. Uh, and I think this is where adding context to the biomimicry space is important because a lot of people initially say like, okay, this is biomimicry and I just need to pursue it. But it's actually this whole world of opportunity, depending on what you're interested in and what you want to get excited about and uh, follow a career in. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for those lovely words. I'm Again, I'm very, very grateful for this opportunity to learn from you, and I greatly look forward to carrying the inspiration gained from our discussion forward. So onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards. Thanks for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did, and trust me, I absolutely loved it, you will know that there were so many crucial messages in this short 45-minute discussion. But one key takeaway from Mrs. Lily that's my favorite is that curiosity isn't the cat's downfall in biomimicry like we were always told. 
it's the catalyst propelling us to push boundaries and shape a sustainable life-friendly planet speaking of curiosity it doesn't sleep and neither does bioincredited anticipate another episode in the antiquity to biomimicry series soon until then our voyage of learning from nature is at a standstill